the podcast is upon me. Welcome to Rock Facts, an over-the-garden-wall rewatch podcast on the Incomparable Network. My name is Brian Hamilton, and I'm joined... I'm the highwayman. Okay, that's nice. I make ends meet, just like any man. Who are you? I work with my hands. No, you should introduce yourself with your name. Oh, I'm Allison Truge. Oh, that's good to know. Um, and I'm here today to talk about uh, facts about Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He was born in Hawaii. Oh, you found one that's different from the fact that he went to your high school and middle school. I'm really proud of you. I actually already knew that fact. And I just think it's more interesting that he went to my high school and middle school. And so I want to keep telling that fact over and over and over again instead of creating new content. We're doing episode four of Over the Garden Wall tonight, uh, Songs of the Dark Lantern. We're almost halfway done with our podcast rewatch series. I can't even believe it. It feels like we just started this two weeks ago. It feels like I haven't seen every single episode 16 times. It feels like we're on episode four, Songs of the Dark Lantern. This one starts with a beautiful rainy scene that always hits me in all of the right fall places. <laughs> Except then uh, we're we're struck by a driver of like a big old like hay bale cart. <laughs> and he goes, the beast is upon me. I love his voice so much. I think if I were to get another tattoo from this show, part of me was thinking about getting like a tattoo of that character. Just being like, the beast is upon me. He's so, 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 so good. And we see that. Also, uh, fun fact for those of you following along with the comic. Um, the, there's a little bit more exposition for this episode in the comic. Awesome. As to, like, why the driver thinks he's being possessed by the beast. That's great. Uh, I, yeah, I'm excited to read the comic at some point. Maybe we should do a bonus episode on that at some point? What do you think? If I can finish it. A lot of it is on Comixology, but a lot of it, like, isn't. It's interesting. Oh, it's on, like, it's behind the Comixology paywall? Well, so, I mean, I, I have a Comixology account right now, um, but... Up until, I think it's uh, issue eight, you have to, like, actually purchase the the issues instead of just, like, having them free, like, with the service, which is just kind of, like, it, it adds up. It's only, like, a couple bucks here and there, but, you know. They do the weird Amazon thing, because it's owned by Amazon, where the Prime video that's included with your membership and a $4 movie rental are all in the same app and place. It's very weird. Right. Uh, then we discover that our uh, four main characters are all inside this hay bale on this guy's wagon and greg is very very hungry <laughs> and he has this cute little duck and he's like banana nut duck bread <laughs> yes yes is uh greg is the beast out there no but i found this duck <laughs> it's like it's the most greg non sequitur of the show it's so i don't sweet. think it's the most greg non sequitur but it's certainly on brand it's certainly on brand it's certainly up there and they decide that because they're so off course they need to do something to get back on course and because of a strike of lightning and a unfortunate rock that they hit not the rock facts rock thankfully we don't want that happy little uh, face to be hit by a wagon uh, they are knocked off of the wagon and thrown just before a creepy old tavern. Ooh. Now, the tavern has... This is something I wanted to talk to you about because this episode is called Songs of the Dark Lantern. And they mention the Dark Lantern later when they're talking about the beast and the lantern and everything. But on the sign outside of the tavern, it has a DL on it. And I don't think they want to keep that on the DL. I think they are called the <laughs> Dark Lantern. 
<laughs> I hate you. I never realized. I This is such a weird thing. I never like really thought about the titles of the episodes until we started doing this series. Um, I, it had never occurred to me that the tavern was called the Dark Lantern before. <laughs> Can confirm. Several times during our recordings, you've stopped me and been like, wait, is that really the title of the episode? And I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> I'm, like, of me. I'm not making fun of you. I'm glad that you're uh, double checking the episode titles that I checked before. <laughs> I just have absolutely no faith in you. Um, so, yeah, basically, outside of this tavern, like, when we're given a bunch of shots of it being, like, all creepy and, like, foreboding, um, the sign of the tavern is just a D and an L and a dead horse in the very middle of it. Maybe the DL stands for dead L. Is there any horse L words? I don't think. So. All right, then I'm sticking with Dark Lantern for the name of this tavern. <laughs> okay. Uh, one of those shots includes the highwayman in a window just looking creepy. Like me. Like you. It looks really, really great. And I love that the the first thing we're exposed to in this tavern is, oh, let's go into this creepy tavern and ask for directions. And we get several different shots of how creepy it is. But then we we eventually learn that this tavern is extremely sweet. Well, I think it's it's more than it's just sweet. It's that, like, there are, like, some good, honest people inside of it. I think one of the charming parts of this episode is that, like, of course, um, at the very beginning of the episode, we're, like, Beatrice goes, like, okay, let's go in there and ask for directions. And Ward is like, um, absolutely not. And it's kind of swayed <laughs> to go inside because he's just like, well, I don't want to stay out here alone. Um, and once we learn that the tavern is not necessarily creepy... Um, Word is still really shy and he's awkward and he doesn't know how to talk to adults. And he's kind of just like, ah, because he, he stumbles over to, um, the person that we learn, like, is the woodcarver. The toy maker. The toy maker, rather. Um, and he's like making a bunch of little toys, um, which comes back later in the last ever scenes of the show. Oh, interesting. Anyway, um, he comes over and he's like, well, hi, uh, I need direction to, well, there's this girl, Adelaide. And he, like, is awkward and, so, like, really socially awkward and can't get the sentence out. And that's what leads to all of the, like, hilarity that happens in the tavern. And I just love that detail about Worth's character is that, like, even when there's nothing dangerous happening, he's kind of like, ah, they're adults. Ah, I don't know. <laughs> he talks in a later episode about all the awkward things that he went through uh, before they got to the unknown. And... With regard to establishing character traits that are maybe brought up or never brought up again, I really love that they make it a thing. They make him extremely awkward and they give him a reason to be because he was in this weird situation. Even though he winds up empowered by the end of it, you're right, he still starts off very, uh, very awkward. I also love, uh, I never really noticed this until I watched as closely as we did just now, the woodsman is following them yeah. and watching them. Uh, go into the tavern. And we can hear outside. Um, well, actually, you know, I'll get to that part in a second. Let's talk about the tavern itself and the characters inside of it. Um, we haven't really gotten to our theories about what the unknown means or what it is. Um, and I want to start this discussion by saying that um, part of me really resists doing this kind of analysis of the unknown because part of me kind of wants to like leave it where it is and it's like supposed to be as you know as the show does this entire time it's teaching you more and more and more to suspend your disbelief and part of me wants to be like okay the unknown it's just like this unknown place it's just like a magical little place that they go to we and don't... everyone's really satisfied with the ending and there's no other analysis <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. Which is a line that basically happens at the end of the entire series. Part of me wants to do that, but I majored in writing literature and publishing, so I can't. <laughs> I have to like search for like what it act, what like I don't know different ways of interpreting this. Um, and so that is what I will say is I really think that there's no one way of interpreting this. It's not like um, I don't I I can't think of an example in literature. Or how about this? Like, it's not like the green light at the end of the dock in The Great Gatsby, um, where, like, that is one thing that definitely means a thing in, like, it means hope, and it means Daisy, and it means all of these different things in The Great Gatsby. Like, there are so many things that it definitely is, whereas I don't think that Over the Garden Wall functions that way. I think there's supposed to be kind of this air of mystery and this air of, like, well, there's not there's not an answer here, and you're supposed to kind of, like, do what makes sense to you. I feel that, but counterpoint, all of these characters know that. And so they're retreating into their own happy songs and professions to counteract that. Okay, so now we're getting into an interpretation, Brian. Um, my, the tavern is my favorite. So there's there's one interpretation of Over the Garden Wall that I think is a little bit basic, but I also think ties in a lot of different theories together, is that, like, the woods are kind of, um, like, an allegory for, like, depression and hopelessness, um, which I, I don't think anyone would really argue with. <laughs> We're going to get some sort of tweets about it. <laughs> but... Um, I think one of the interesting things that happens in the tavern that supports this idea a lot is that, um, so all of the people in the tavern are like so afraid of the beast. And the other thing that they are is they're all incredibly passionate about their jobs and their productivity. Like as soon as where it says, uh, a girl, they all of a sudden like weave this intricacy that like he's in love with somebody and he's gonna marry her and there's a line in the song where the toy maker goes there's work when all the little boys get married and like makes a job for every single person in the tavern like all of a sudden like talking about like industriousness and like i would even maybe say like this like speaks kind of towards the american like industrial revolution and all those sorts of things um and one interpretation that I've read, I think I read this on Reddit, I'm not sure, I don't know who to attribute this to, I'm so sorry, um, but someone had said that all of the people in the tavern being so passionate about their work is them being passionate about their work so that the beast doesn't get them. Um, it's kind of like distracting them from the kind of hopelessness that being in the unknown brings. And that's part of their advice to Wirt at the end of the episode is to have something to cling to. You go, Pilgrim. You do this. You, young lover, find your love and things like that. They are so passionate about their jobs and they're passionate about uh, making something for Wirt. The very first thing that the, the tavern keeper says to Wirt is, who are you? Well, I'm Wirt. That's all you need to know. Who are you? Because I'm the tavern keeper. That's the toy maker. That's the master and apprentice. That's the cobbler. That's the baker. Things like that. They are known by their professions. I don't think any of them have names in this episode. Yeah, no, none of them do. All of them are named after their profession, like the tavern keeper and the toy maker and the highwayman. The tavern maker, uh, tavern maker, the tavern tavern keeper uh voiced by the person that does tuck from uh my life as a teenage robot which is yeah. incredible brian and i went into an imdb hole about uh this actress that we'll have linked below um she does a lot of like clearly you know all of them are voice actors but <laughs> does particularly a lot of voice acting stuff that i 
recognized and hadn't pinned down as like one person. Um, she's like a voice character in Fallout and like all these different things. Um, but basically, I I think that this also speaks towards the way that we live our lives now. Like, I think a lot of people really define themselves by what profession they are. Um, and I, I certainly am a person that does that to a certain extent. Um, so I think that that was an, an interesting way of spinning this episode that I think is kind of heavy handed, but also I didn't hate. Well, that's true. But then otherwise, let's think about, let's go through the episode and I want to pose to you what this episode means in the grand scheme of the 10 episodes when we get to the end. Uh, so the first thing that happens is there's an adorable dog that Wirt needs to get out of the way before he can get into the tavern. And I really love that tension-breaking moment where, okay, we're finally working up the courage to go into this creepy tavern. And as soon as we wake up, oh, there's a big little floof there. And I love that. I said big little floof. That made no sense. Well, it's that he, they try to get into the tavern and it's blocked. And it's only blocked because there's a sleeping little dog. It's so adorable and out of place, but in a way that, of course, Over the Garden Wall still makes work because nothing is in place. That's one of my favorite analyses of... The Princess Bride is that the reason it works so well is because none of it works and there's no consistency in that universe. And I kind of feel like this it has a similar way of looking at it where every episode is different in a slightly new, unique way. And it keeps teaching you to unlearn how you watch over the garden wall. Absolutely. I so agree with this. And this is what I've been saying this whole podcast about your suspension of disbelief. Um, and also how... Yet again, I feel like we're in a different time period. It doesn't quite feel like we're at the we're in the turn of the century anymore. I almost feel like this is kind of a like almost earlier than the turn of the century. It's not by much and we're definitely post civil war, but I don't think that we're post turn of the century. I feel that, especially because there's all the references to pilgrims and where it's like, wait, what? Like the the turkey cranberry sauce people well and even in the tavern itself there's kind of an inconsistency of like the time and like all the the clothing that all of them are wearing uh for instance the master and apprentice first of all master of what second of all (laughs) apprentice of what (laughs) what he's wearing does not match what the other people in the tavern are wearing which kind of leads to another interpretation of over the garden wall that i've read which is that like of course the unknown is purgatory and so that's why there are so many people from so many different times is that like it's just the dead it is timeless it is timelessness there is no time in purgatory which i also think is um it's influenced by the fact that even when wirt and greg are in the unknown you kind of can't tell how long they've been there like the whole events of the show could take anywhere from like three days to like three weeks like we have no idea how long the boys have been there apparently neither did greg or wirt the very first thing in the series is wait how far have we gone how long have we been walking they don't know either uh going off of that and into the music where do you think the music stands in terms of the timelessness of this episode so that's a really interesting question i think that there are a couple of different eras that we're working with here um the song first of all let's talk about the highwayman song um (laughs) which is so great um and it's actually a riff off of mini the moocher which is one of my favorite like classic like big band jazz like standards i guess you'd call it um if you ever watch uh mini the moocher we can link uh, a youtube clip in the show notes um, you could basically sing the tune of the Highwayman to Minnie the Moocher. Interesting. Yeah, it's so great. Um, and so that is clearly like 
post turn of the century. We're talking 1920s, height of the jazz era. Um, Especially because the animation for that song is so great and creepy and warped. In a way, it looks like they projected his dance on a screen that's at a 45 degree angle from the quote unquote camera that was filming this scene. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's the thing is that also the dance replicates the mini the moocher dance as well that goes with that song. Nice. Right. That's awesome. It's there's there's a lot of stuff that's happening there. (laughs) Um, But also when we get to the Toymaker song where he's like singing about like Wurt's love, um, that song is very like. It's very early Americana. It kind of like reads like a silly little song, um, which is certainly, certainly pre-1900s. Honestly, a little bit like pre-1800s. Um, it's it, it definitely reads to me as more timeless. It kind of reads as like a child's like lullaby mm-hmm. more than it reads as like a genre of music that can be certainly placed in one era. Especially because the verse and chorus and refrain and everything are all the same melody with one, uh, you know the musical term better than I would, like one minor version of it or like an alternate. Uh, Wait, repeat that? There's like a, at the end of the verse, you goes, hi, dee 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 dum dee dum today. This is the main melody of the song I'm singing, but then I'm going to sing this song and this kind of way like it's slightly different it's a it, it's not minor is it no okay you i'm not musical <laughs> but i also love you're right this is a very innocent song very silly song and it's perfect for the toy maker because this is what his trade is he would definitely know how to entertain a little kid yeah absolutely i think that it I, I think I said pre-1800s and that wouldn't make any sense. Um, but I, I definitely think it's... We're talking like mid-1800s for that. Um, so it definitely puts us in the space of timelessness. Um, and Wirt also like goes up when he's doing his own rendition of that kind of song. Which is again like sort of a timeless thing. Even though like we know, spoiler alert, later that like Greg's kind of from the... Ni- or uh, Greg and Wirt are from the 90s. So... I think it also maybe speaks to the fact that it's timeless in the sense that you could go to a tavern today and somebody could be like, I don't know, doing a cover of Minnie the Moocher. That could be happening. But I think it kind of contributes to this idea that there are lots of people in the unknown from lots of different time periods. If last episode is the first episode that had any diegetic music where people were singing on camera, quote unquote, then this episode would not have made nearly as much sense without that. The fact that everyone's just singing. And again, the band knows the song. Everyone knows the song. It's a really great little musical moment. (laughs) I love, love, love that everyone gets to chime in and join and things. And that uh, the Toymaker song is silly enough that everyone could probably join in. It, It was stuck in my head almost instantly. But there's also the fact that Greg tries to, or I'm sorry, Wirt. I always get the two of them mixed up, Greg and Wirt. I feel like Greg should be the older one and Wirt should be the younger one. Well, Wirt is a weird name. Wirt is a weird name. Wirt tries to sing a song when they go, sing, lover, sing. And he flops it. <laughs> he bombs it. And it is so cute that he, he in takes... In the background, a... you can see that someone in the band is trying to play the violin upside down. <laughs> uh, Wirt takes the band member's flute and turns it around and makes him play it slightly differently to kind of make it work. Uh, There's also... I can't believe I'm bringing up Frozen, but here I am. There's a moment in Frozen where after two or three songs of very 
typical Disney fare, you get a shot of, I think her name is Anna, the main character, uh, lying in bed, just about to wake up in a very messy way. And it was a thing when I first saw it, I was like, huh, I'm surprised that they're taking this kind of classic animation style and giving it this modern twist of like the, oh no, just woke up like this kind of uh, silly self-referential humor. And they did that in this as well, where the Adventure Time is showing for uh, Patrick McHale when Wirt goes, oh, my name is Wirt and his name is Greg. We are related because my mom gave birth to him with my stepdad. (laughs) I think the one thing that this show does that I consistently am so impressed by is that they're not afraid to have songs that are like unfinished yeah like the the same thing with the adelaide march and also this song is that (laughs) they're purposefully bad they're still adorable but they're not meant for their like musical abilities they give so much color to the characters singing it that they're willing to fail right i also love this isn't a love song no it's a metaphor (laughs) that reminded me of you (laughs) it's so wonderful every time i i feel like this whole episode i feel like every single character in it because they're all so the music gives all of them some sort of character hook to do even though they are so simply reduced down to butcher baker candlestick maker there was only one of those in the actual tavern the baker but we're gonna roll with it even though they are so reduced down to their title they still have something to do as characters in this show, and I think it works really well. Except for the midwife who literally just spits up a fish. (laughs) That is true. I did notice that. Uh, Before we talk about the larger ramifications of the Beast song, I want to check in with Beatrice and see how she's doing. Uh, She was kicked out of the tavern by the tavern keeper in one of my favorite comedic moments in the show where she's trying to be as, as angelic as possible. I'm Beatrice, and I'm the bluebird, and ah! And she gets hit by the at the worst possible time in her spiel. And I think it's so adorable. But she's hanging out outside with uh, some horse that apparently can't talk. Are you wearing lipstick? (laughs) It's a nice reprieve from the tavern in that if, again, if it were only the silly things inside the tavern, it would probably get a little overwhelming and boring. And I'm really glad they took a break to show what it was like outside, still dark and rainy and still creepy. Uh, For the first time, this is what I have down in my notes about this moment. Uh, For the first time, we hear the Beast's song, where he's singing, la, 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 la. And at this point, we know that the woodsman is watching them. We hear, la, 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 and axe chopping. And that sets up the distrust of the woodsman at the end of the episode. Because because it's it's thought that the woodsman is the one singing. Mm Mm-hmm. So... Uh, there's Beatrice, she's doing her thing, uh, and she flies off to try to get directions from the woodsman, who she believes would know the woods better than anyone else, which sets up a nice little uh, thing at the end. But the song about the beast that the bard keeps sings, how did the beast get brought? Oh, because Wirt said, oh, and I uh, befriended the woodsman to try to uh, avoid the beast. And everyone goes, oh. <gasps> and then they're like, you know the beast? The Beast Pilgrim. (laughs) Uh, So that launches the barkeep into a song about the beast, which always gives me the creeps for some reason, even though it's a very simple song. Yeah, it's, it's a creepy song. It's a creepy song, and I love the reactions of everyone else in it. And every time I watch this, I think, why are they so surprised that she is doing shadow puppets on the wall? Uh, there's two characters that when she, uh, when she is standing in front of a candle and 
projecting herself on the wall as a big creepy shadow. They scream, and I think, why are they scared and surprised by this? Because she's a creepy lady. It's a creepy thing. Well, she's a very sweet lady, but she's pretending she's to be creepy. She's not a sweet lady. She's like a, she's a hardened New England gal. Yeah, oh, that that's true. They're I... not necessarily set in New England, but like, you know what I mean. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but then inside the song are a few little nuggets of information that uh, he who carries the dark lantern must be the beast, which makes us think that the woodsman is the beast and sets up the uh, the conflict later where uh, they finally have a little showdown in the forest. Right. What do you think of how Wirt leaves the tavern with that kind of empowered, uh, let's go save the day attitude that Greg had last episode? I mean, I think that it's sweet, but like, also silly that he literally steals the horse. Exactly. The fact that he goes, okay, you know what? I'm just going to go and I'm going to pretend I know how to ride you by. Which like, we'll, we'll talk more about, uh, in the episode for the, in our episode, talking about the next episode, um, how like work goes. Well, Fred's like a, Fred's a talking horse. He has autonomy. (laughs) It's so wonderful. Fred is played by one of the guys from Everybody Loves Raymond. Also, I wanted to mention that I'm sure we might get a little more into this, uh, in the next episode. And this isn't really a spoiler for the comic because this is a pretty popular fan theory, but um, there it goes more into detail in the comic that um, Fred the horse is actually the highwayman's horse. And oh. so that's why he was at the tower at the tavern. And it's like part of the reason that he was like, I want to steal. <laughs> I really like that. That's awesome. Right. Uh, so the empowerment of, were in this scene is a nice way of propelling him through the rest of the series and sets up a nice downfall for him in episode eight, which I also really appreciate because giving him this kind of high makes the lows later all that much more uh, painful. Well, and also it's our first, it's our first real meeting with the beast and what he can do Mm -hmm. because Beatrice gets so lost in the woods and really needs to be saved because she like fell on the Edelwood tree. She needs to be saved, but I also love the, so, uh, Greg and Wirt show up on Fred the horse and see the woodsman there with the lantern, which leads them to believe that he's the beast based on the tavern's people. They see Beatrice behind him, knocked out. And they panic and think, okay, we need to fight him and get Beatrice away. And they have this scene and it's nice. uh, But as they're riding away with Beatrice and she wakes up, she goes, yeah, I just kind of flew and hit my head and got knocked out. And that was really dumb of me. Oh, well, great. (laughs) There's that moment of, okay, so the woodsman didn't actually hurt Beatrice. Well, and then we are shown the first look at the actual beast that we get. It's so good. And he goes, Woodsman. His voice is so dulcety and smooth and creepy. He's an opera singer. The voice actor and the person that does all of the vocal tracks. He's like an actual literal opera singer. Which makes so much sense for how beautiful that uh, that song is that he sings. La, 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 la. You're confusing. There's one that goes, la, 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 something, something, light the fire. Yes, yes, that. And then there's also, he does Come Wayward Souls, which is the Come Wayward Souls. Yes, yes, that's true. There's those two different So there are two different ones. Mm -hmm. There's like the Jolly Beast and like the Sad Beast. (laughs) There's also, because... At this point, there's something that we know that Wirt and Greg don't know, that the Beast and the Woodsman are kind of in cahoots, even though the Woodsman hates the Beast. 
And there's the reference to, you don't want the lantern to go out, do you, uh, for the sake of your daughter's soul. And so all of a sudden we know his, his, it's like a little bit of dramatic irony that like we know something that the main characters don't know. And it plays out in a few different ways later on in the series where they don't trust the woodsman anymore, but it's a nice touch to have at least a little bit of tension there in one of the first relationships we have in the show. Well, I think that it's good that we, we as the audience know that we weren't betrayed, that like, even though the woodsman is in cahoots with the beast and they like have a deal that's not a happy deal and that we know or at least i i think that i thought the first time and i still know that the woodsman could still be trusted exactly and that parallels beatrice's betrayal in uh, two episodes which we will get to when we talk about that i really love that the show makes any bad character unless they're like extremely bad uh like adelaide winds up being in the beast of course there's some humanity to everybody and there's always some sort of twist that gives everybody a motive to try to survive in the unknown and also to do whatever they're doing to wharton greg well and i think there's kind of this air of complicity complacency complacency no it, it complicit like the word complicit they are complicit in the thing. Yeah, in that, like, the, the truly evil people in the show, like Adelaide and the Beast, they get normally good people to do bad things and betray people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's an air of forgiveness in this show um, that gets explored a lot later when, like, Beatrice, you know, betrays them. And then, it, like, it's kind of like, no, but I really didn't mean it. Like... At, at least Wirt and Greg are able to kind of, like, come to the consensus of, like, well, but there are friends and, like, bad people make good people do bad things. Exactly, exactly. Uh, well, here we are at the end of episode four. Where do you think it stands in terms of the rest of the episodes? I kind of... So, I, I always think of the tavern as a little bit of waffle. Um, just in the fact that, like, I think it does a lot of... It, it does a little bit of world building. And it shows an actual community of people that we haven't really seen before. Because um, we have Pottsfield, which is sort of an isolated community of literal skeletons wearing pumpkins. <laughs> um, and then we have the schoolyard, where, like, all of a sudden there are these, like, people in the woods that are donating to this school sounds fake um so this is the first community of people like in a tavern that show you that there are people in the unknown um and they all have a consensus about the beast they're not brought together by a circumstance of the show you would expect them to be at this tavern on their own in at, at any given night and Wharton and greg just happen to find themselves well, there and i think that it's like it, it builds the stakes a lot um, because it shows that the beast is really something to be reckoned with and it's something that people are really afraid of. I will say the first time I saw this series and the dog... So in the first episode, the dog eats the turtle and becomes like a monster. Um, and then it like kind of... The turtle is squeezed out of it and it turns back into a dog. So the first time I saw this series and the woodsman was like, the dog is not the beast... Um, I thought to myself, oh, he just didn't know that he ate the turtle. And so he thinks that it's like really silly that the boys think that the dog was that monster that was mm-hmm. there. And so I really thought, oh, the beast is this creature. It's any creature in the woods that eats those weird turtles. But once once we get to this episode, it becomes more clear like, oh, the beast is real. Like it's a real monster in the woods and not just like a figment of all these people's imaginations. Exactly. And we never see the beast uh, completely, which is a great way to to amplify that. Right. Well, that was a fun episode. I really enjoy how this episode is like a fun little romp through some musical fun. 
Yay. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening, and we'll see you all uh, on next episode.